0: Okay, uh, we're going to move on to the next statement of uh, the Apostles' Creed, but before we get there, I want to recite the Apostles' Creed for you, not to show you that I've memorized it or anything like that, Uh, but for us to think about it. Uh, As I say it out loud, I'm not going to put the words up on the screen or anything like that, but as I say it out loud, you might like to try and mouth along to to go, oh yeah, I, I know this, but... Not just to be able to say the words, but reflect on what each one of the statements means. And to really go, is this my conviction? Is this my belief? Is this what I believe from the Bible? Is this uh, what I stake my life on? It goes like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Over this past week or so, there have been some uh, 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 massive protest rallies in Hong Kong. Millions of people have been marching in the streets. You might have seen some of the very... Uh, dramatic and moving footage uh, of that. Some of the drones that have flown over and just shown the size of the the, the masses of people that have come out gathering in the streets to make a statement against uh, the proposed extradition laws there. Well, the Apostles' Creed is a protest. As as much as it captures what we believe with, with clarity... It helps us to be clear on what we believe. And as much as the Apostles' Creed uh, captures what we believe with symmetry, like last week we did a a leg day to to build out our belief and doctrine in some areas that we can easily overlook, as much as it's a, 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 a statement of belief with clarity and symmetry, it is also a protest against what we reject. See, a moment ago, as I said and, and you echoed, Together, we believe in God the Father Almighty, in in saying that, in making that statement, we are rejecting other deities. We're rejecting other spiritualities. We are rejecting other religions, including the no God religion. As I say that I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who, who, who suffered and was crucified, who died, was buried, who descended, who resurrected, who ascended. As you say that, we're making a protest that we might reject the irrelevancy of Jesus. We might reject... Notions that Jesus is unimportant or that should be, he should be marginalised. Saying the Apostles' Creed is rebellious. In saying the Apostles' Creed, we stand against the cultural norms that are round about us. I think about some of the the places that you went just in this past week some of the contexts in which you were where you worked or where you studied or or the people that you hung out with or maybe you went some unique places this week there are places where saying the apostles creed will clash with the values that are around about not, not not just in a way that it might be weird or rude to suddenly start spurting out the apostles creed but are there places and spaces Relationships that you are in where the statement of the Apostles' Creed really does protest against the cultural norm that's roundabout. Now, the next statement of the Apostles' Creed that we're going to look at together this afternoon is perhaps the most controversial culturally. Yet, you I know, want us to see that this statement is not as much protest as it is a statement of appeal. We're going to look at, I believe in Jesus, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Where's the appeal in that? Almost every single person Across the globe, at some point today, consciously or even perhaps just under the surface, has felt and experienced some kind of injustice. Perhaps on a big scale and they're, 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 they're deep in this injustice or maybe just in a very minor kind of way. Think for a moment about the kind of songs that we sing in the world, the, the movies that are, are, are popular, the, 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 the stories that we tell. They all capture a longing for a world that is put right. Every philosophy or every worldview ultimately is casting a vision for a better existence either an improved one in this world or an idea of a a better world beyond this world. This is the whole enterprise of ethics. Ethics is about what is perceived as being good and fair. Ethical systems are set up in such a way that by following it, you or the cohort that subscribe to it or perhaps all of humanity, if your ethical system is that large... It's about living well. It's about making life better. It's about making the most of life when life is frustrated. In the midst of suffering and injustice, the, 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 the ethical system that we're seeking to uh, live by will avert su- suffering. It'll, 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 it'll minimise it or give us the opportunity to cope with it. Back on the agenda at the moment is uh, discussions about euthanasia pay attention to the debates and discussions as they go on, regardless of where you sit in what you think of euthanasia, you'll see that almost everyone is coming at that discussion from an ethical viewpoint where they want an outcome that is going to make life life better. It's going to deal with suffering in a way that we can cope with. We live in a world where we want things to be right. We want justice. And I think the Apostles' Creed appeals to this cry as we understand what the Bible says about Jesus as judge and our place in his judgment. Now, eventually we're going to get to uh, Matthew 25, and we'll read from that in a little while. But we're going to need to do a little bit of background uh, first. And you can see inside your Vital Info news sheet there a, a very complex outline by my standards with lots and lots of Bible passages. We're not going to look all of them up together this afternoon, but this is one of those afternoons in the Bible where there's, I, I want to give you lots of information that you can go away and look up. Uh, more uh, for yourself uh, later on uh, as you do some more reading. We're going to eventually uh, get to the Bible, but my points today, I I really want to start off with what we want, uh, what the world roundabouts us wants, and then show how much that this has already been met in what God has done, in what God is doing, and what God will do. God, God is not doing this to respond to our wants. Um, God will do what God will do. But what I want to do, I want to kind of take this approach uh, this afternoon to help us understand where, where some of our, our friends and family members, colleagues who are, who are not Christians, uh, how you might come to approach and understand judgment and, and, and talk warmly and persuasively about Jesus. For those of us who are Christians who, who believe the where is my Bible? There it is. We're going to get to the Bible. That's why I need it. Uh, we believe the Bible to be God's uh, word to us, God's revelation to us, that he breaks into the world and makes himself known and what he is doing and his great plans of salvation all to the glory of Jesus. Uh, we take that as given. Uh, but what I want to do here in talking about justice is talk about the, the wants that we have the wants that the people round about us have for justice. And then in a moment, we're going to see, oh, God actually speaks into that and makes sense of that for us because of what he is already doing. So our first starting point is that we want justice. When I say we, not just we here in this room, not just we who might be Christians, we, the world, we want justice. Justice, and any kind of justice, demands judgment. We cannot have a world that is put right without a judgment being made about what is and isn't right. Let's think about the sibling fight on the back seat of the car. That can't be sorted out with somebody without somebody making a judgment about what is or isn't right or buying a bigger car with an extra row and moving kids down the car, or parents. You might want to appeal an exam mark that you have been given. That review can only happen by somebody else making a judgment about what is or isn't right, a court ruling even on a global scale some global crisis or injustice can only injustice justice can only be sorted out by somebody making a judgment about what is or isn't right justice that we long for can only come via a just and fair judgment now i think this is a solid starting point for considering christianity Uh, we we want to have a church that welcomes everyone here, whether people are Christian or not. We want to be a place where people can ask questions about the world and our place in it and who is Jesus and and who is is God and where is everything headed. Uh, what, What I want to cover this afternoon is to help you see that this can be a conversation topic have with a friend about Jesus that goes a little bit like this is there a trajectory from where we are now to an existence that is even better we're kind of familiar with that longing aren't we uh, for those of being Christians long enough we we we're looking forward to a heaven. We believe in a new heaven and a new earth where there's going to be no more dying or crying or pain, That that is going to be a perfected existence, a return to Eden and even better. That's what many of us will already know and be familiar with from the Bible. But just take a step back from that at the moment. I'm not saying it's untrue or put any doubts in your mind. Just take a step back to think about all other kinds of people round about you our world is familiar with pursuing a trajectory for an existence that is better than what we've got now. A longing for justice, uh, doing hard work towards that, doing education towards that, raising up leadership in the direction of a better better existence or or, uh, a a, a global uh, tolerance and, and, and revolutions but it is always frustrated, always stumbling, two step forward, one step back. And if we're honest with ourselves, can we really trust our personal sense of justice in all that? The cause that we might take up it's always going to be slightly biased towards me. And even if it's not for my particular benefit, it's going to be biased towards my perception of what should be of benefit to the other people round about me. But what if there's a God who breaks into the world, who shows us a world that is put right and from the outside perfectly judges what is right? Now, that's the Bible's historical narrative, the promise of a world put right that is possible because of God, because of who God is, his character and his qualities set in motion the existence that we long for. Because of who God is, he makes this existence both possible and necessary, the Bible consistently presents God as holy, as, as as being pure, perfect in judgment, perfectly right in everything. Are you got your Bible's there with me? We're gonna to go to our first passage, Psalm Psalm fifty. We could have gone to Psalm ninety-six that we did earlier on. We're gonna to go to Psalm fifty. Psalm 50, one of, the, one of the songs of God's Old Testament people. The mighty one, God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. This is, this is going to be talking about judgment, about God bringing about judgment. What does he do? Verse 4, he summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice and the heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a God of justice. God's justice is intimately tied up with his righteousness doing what is perfectly right. Just listen as I tell you what Isaiah chapter 5 verse 16 says, the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. God's character, God's qualities, make the existence of a world put right possible and necessary. Because his character is one of holiness and righteousness. That is a character that demands judgment. The cultural norm round about us rejects judgment. But without judgment, there can be no justice. The cultural norm round about us is to reject God, the Father Almighty. But without God, then there is no judgment. Without judgment, there is no justice. And so an appeal, the appeal of justice is an appeal for judgment, which is an appeal for God. That's our first appeal. Second appeal, if we want justice, we want judgment, but we want fair judgment. There are two possibilities or two conditions uh, for unfair judgment. Judgment is unfair when the person exercising the judgment is corrupt. There's someone who can't be trusted. They've got bias. Maybe you've been involved in a situation like that, where it's, wh- whether it's legal in court or whether it's a, a family fight at home. Uh, Dad has made a judgment about something and, well, he was biased in that. Or the other condition that makes for unfair judgment is misinformation. Dad might not have had the whole story, might not have had the whole facts. How many appeals in courts or mistrials are because some information New information has come to light. Some key information was left out. Well, when it comes to God and his judgment, the very character of God is without corruption or bias. The moment that God has any bias or corruption means that he is less than God, he is not God. And so, God is not corrupt. And God's judgment is well informed. Could even say too well informed. You want to turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 2, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans is uh, written by Paul to the church in Rome in the first century, uh, helping them to make sense of who Jesus is and what does it look like, what does it mean to have salvation and in the starting of it he's, he's talking about God's wrath, uh, God's judgment that is coming on humanity because all of humanity has rebelled against God and rejected God. And in chapter 2 he tells us some things about, about judgment and the nature of judgment um, we're not going to drill right down into all the details of Romans chapter 2, but there's some there's kind of passing verses here that say really key things about God not being corrupt in judgment and God having all the information. Now Let's just pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Paul's just saying that whole thing. We're so incapable of doing judgment um, of one another. As soon as we judge one person, we, you know what it's like. Paul says, though, verse 2, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, from chapter 1, is based on truth. God judges on the basis of God. God is the one who oversees all of truth and God does, God judges in truth. Now, let's go down to verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. And then down in verse 16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. When God does judgment, nothing is hidden. All evidence is on the table. There's no information that will come to light later on that will turn the tables. There's no misunderstanding. There's no misconstruing of the evidence. There's no manipulation of the evidence. There's no theatrical performance by a well-trained barrister to move an outcome in a particular direction. God sees it all. Uh, the, the cultural norm round about us will reject perfectly impartial judgment because we'll be found out. Deep down for each one of us, uh, we feel a little bit unsettled by this kind of judgment because every action, every secret, every motive, every attitude is uncovered. Yet the appeal for lasting justice is an appeal for a perfectly impartial judge. And so, if in God we have the possibility of justice and fair judgment, can you and I be on the right side of that judgment? Here's where we get to Matthew 25. Please turn there, Matthew chapter 25. This is not a difficult passage to understand. This passage says in a very straightforward way what the Apostles' Creed says, that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's not difficult to understand the words on the page. But the big question for us is are we on the right side of this judgment? Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. I'm not going to do what I normally do where I read five words and then stop to explain something. I've just looked ahead. I'm going to explain it before I get there. Jesus is going to talk about the Son of Man. Uh, not some ordinary way of talking about himself, but talking about an Old Testament figure that appears in Old Testament prophecy. The book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, the son of man is an Old Testament figure who comes from God with all God's authority to rule on God's behalf, with all God's power and honour and glory and already said authority, authority again. He... The Son of Man will be the one who judges on behalf of God into the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Jesus has in mind when he talks about the Son of Man. When he calls himself the Son of Man, like he's doing here in verse 31. Now we're ready to read it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. You got got the picture of who Jesus is talking about? All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king Uh, This is a teaching moment from Jesus to his disciples who were gathered in in, in, in the days before he went to his crucifixion and written down here for you and I as Jesus' followers today, Jesus is teaching that his judgment as the Son of Man, as the King appointed by God the Father, his judgment divides. He separates between those who are on his right side and his wrong side, those who are on his right and those who are on his left. There are those who are on on the right, those he describes calls to be righteous, those who are in the right with Jesus, who will enter into a life of blessing and inheritance. He describes it as a kingdom. Right through Matthew's gospel, Jesus talks about the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven heaven he describes for us the world that we long for a world that is put right that is the inheritance of those who are in the right with Jesus and Jesus will separate between those on that right and those on the left those who are cursed with the devil and his angels, cursed to an eternal fire and in an eternal punishment. (coughs) And what Jesus has to say about that eternal punishment and eternal fire, it is to be excluded from a world that is put right. It's an existence that's given over to everything that is not right. This, as unsettling as it is, is the perfectly impartial penalty that is set by a holy and righteous judge. Now, this is not a popular idea. It was not a popular idea when Jesus said it. It was not a popular idea when Jesus' disciples sought to try and teach it and make sense of it. It never will be a popular idea. It's a very uncomfortable an unsettling truth. It's not a topic that we want to be talking about with unbelievers. Of, of any topic that comes up in the Apostles' Creed, or perhaps any topic that is, that is here in the Bible, I don't find one any harder with which to talk about in an articulate way, or a warm way, or a way that will warm people persuasively to who Jesus is. Uh, we avoid talking about it, don't we? It's, it's not the kind of topic we want to start up a conversation on social media with because we'll be misunderstood and, and misquoted and we, we don't feel like we have the words that are able going to talk about it sensibly. Remember what started the whole Israel Falal saga? It was a statement about judgment and hell. Is there a way of talking about Jesus without talking about judgment? Can we get on with evangelizing our, our friends and our family, our neighbors, gum garland to the ends of the earth? Can we do that work of evangelism without mentioning hell? Well, here's what a professor of evangelism has to say. A practitioner, an expert in evangelism, one who has studied and analyzed and watched what people are doing, what brothers and sisters in the faith are doing all around the world, and this is what he says. One of the reasons we talk about hell is because it's the truth and we dare not escape the truth. There's a lot of half-truth and sometimes even 90% truth, but if you're going to evangelise well and you're going to evangelise with the truth, you've got to talk about ultimate truth judgment. And so we talk about hell and we need to. The appeal of what is captured in the Apostles Creed is that it deals with what is true, the true possibility of a world that is put right, the true possibility of a world that is right and of being on the right side of Jesus. Being counted among those who are righteous, about being in relationship with, with Jesus, being in the right with Jesus. The gospel message is about a life that is lined up with Jesus. Now, here, while in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, it's expressed in how you might treat Jesus' brothers and sisters, those who are, are Christians, believers in the faith. The righteous that Jesus talks about are those who are in the right with Jesus. Those who have had the the penalty of sin dealt with by coming under Jesus' rule and lordship. It's stopping the illusion that you're a sheep when you're a goat. The promise of the gospel message is that Jesus through his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. It's the promise that Jesus perfectly deals with the penalty that we deserve. And so that we can come into the right with Jesus. Now I want to finish our time together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've given you... some philosophical arguments this afternoon, some theological arguments this afternoon. Uh, Talked about the Apostles' Creed. But here I'm drawing to an end, I want to draw out some appeals to us, to you, from the Bible, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is talking about Paul and Timothy. Now writing to the Christians in Corinth uh, he is talking about heaven and, and having n- new bodies, a, a, a world put right. Uh, let's pick up in verse six, verse six. "Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. That's our reality now. Verse seven, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The reality of a world put right. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, knowing that judgment is coming, I want to leave us with three appeals Appeal number one, knowing that judgment is coming, be on the right side of Jesus. Don't be in any doubt. Take Matthew 25 away for yourself and read it again tonight or later this week and do an honest reflection. Read through Matthew 25... As if you are reading that, sitting in front of the perfectly impartial judge. And if there is any doubt for you about whether you are on the right side or the left side of Jesus. Speak to another Christian person about that. Your spouse, if you're married to a Christian spouse, Christian parent. Christian friend, one of the leaders here at New Life. Knowing judgment is coming, be on the right side of Jesus. Appeal number two, knowing that judgment is coming, persist in godly living. Paul and Timothy say in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad, persist in godly living. Peter says that godly living saves and will appeal to the unbelievers round about us. And this brings us to our third appeal. Knowing judgment is coming, make Jesus known. Paul and Timothy say in verse 11, they try to persuade others. Verse 14, Christ's love compels us. Verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Knowing judgment is coming, we'll be like Paul and Timothy in making Jesus known. I hope in where we've come, come tonight you can see that there's appeal in the Apostles' Creed. There's appeal in Jesus' coming to judge. If we are consistently, persistently making Jesus' name, if we are pursuing a godly life, if we are on the right side of Jesus, then... Truly we believe, together we believe that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead.